Praise Lord today. Say amen. It is finished. He's won the victory. You be sure after the service today to talk to Brother Robert. He'll be out there. As I said, he's got some, if you'd like to uh, purchase a CD to continue to listen to this, that'd be wonderful. He'll have those out there for you, and then you can talk to him during the worship time uh, or during the eating time as well. Our students up to 12, year, 12 years old are heading to Children's Church, our upper Children's Church class, so you can head that way. Brother Will will meet you outside and uh, appreciate his ministry and what he's done. Now, I need to say, uh, I need to let you know, uh, next Sunday night we're going to have a very special uh, special time of, of worship and service. Brother Tanner Higgins uh, is going to come and give a message for us next Sunday night, and I believe this is, Brother Tanner, is this your first time preaching next Sunday night? Is this your first time, or, yeah, here, all right, it's first time here, and uh, going to bring a message, and so I want to encourage you, if you don't normally come back on Sunday night, want to encourage you to come and uh, listen to Brother uh, Tanner and, and support him. Excited about him. Uh, they say it's a good sign for a church when there are young people responding uh, to the ministry and to preaching. Of course, Brother Tanner's a lay preacher, and we're excited for that. A good ministry there, uh, and a good thing. So you be sure to be back next Sunday night. There'll be no Sunday night service tonight. Uh, we're just going to fellowship and celebrate in the gym, and, and this will be all of our worship uh, today. Well, many great things, many spiritual things, many life-changing things have occurred uh, at this church, in this building, in this building of this church, and uh, over in Scott Street over the years. As a pastor, it's my heartbeat, and I hope as a, a member of the church or as an attender at this church worshiping here, I hope that it's your heartbeat that God does great things in today's generation. Not just today's generation, but I hope you came expecting and hoping that God would do something great today. We want to be known not just for the spiritual presence and experiences of the past, we want to be known for the presence of Jesus Christ in our congregation today through His Holy Spirit. We want to be known as a people that desire the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus to continue changing lives today. Now, last night, we dropped the clock back. We rewound the clock, and we moved back an hour. And every year, we do that. We move back an hour. But we can't rewind the clock to the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. We can't even rewind the clock to the year 2000. We cannot do that. And as a congregation, as a church, uh, we must not do that. We cannot just live in what God did in yesterday. The Jews got in big trouble the time of Jesus because they knew all about Father Abraham and they knew all about Brother Moses and they knew all about the prophets, uh, but they were spiritually dead to what God's own Son was doing in their day. Now, we can't rewind the clock to the 40s, 50s, or 60s. The time is slipping towards eternity. But what we can do and what the Bible does demand of us is that we do go back into the pages of Scripture and that we allow what the Holy Spirit did in the first church, in the first early church. We are required and it is expected of us that we go back into the pages of the Bible and that we allow the Holy Spirit to apply that word to our lives and to our congregation and that we allow the Spirit of God to mold us and to make us to be the type of congregation that we see there in the very beginning. Now, the Word of God does a lot of interesting things. And what Jesus did on the cross does a lot of interesting things. And one thing it does for the people of God is it sort of messes time up a little bit. No, we cannot physically rewind time. 
the word of God makes clear that these other early believers, when they were in the spirit of God and they were worshiping him, they weren't just there on earth worshiping, but spiritually they were connected with God who was on his throne through his son Jesus. So just like the Holy Spirit kind of messes location up where we can both be in this place and through God's spirit in his very presence at the same time and God be there and God with us just as it can mess up location it also kind of messes time up because no we cannot physically go back in time but spiritually through the spirit of God when we are in the same spirit that they were in and we are heeding that same spirit the word of God makes clear that we are united with them in worship and united in purpose as we worship the same Jesus that they did. So if you want a Holy Spirit encounter today, say amen. So let's go and let's listen to the Word of God and let's see what it tells us about the early church. Go to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and go to verse 37. And we're going to read together this morning, Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. Now we read this text last week. And we talked about some things that I'll remind you about in a minute. And then in today, we're going to look at some new things. So this just worked perfect that homecoming fell as we're preaching through the book of Acts. And we're here in Acts chapter 2 seeing the marks of the early church. Because at Kuvil Church's best and in the past, our best in the future, we will need to be a church that is aligned with these purposes. There's some things in our church worth celebrating. There's some things churches don't talk about at homecoming because you don't want to celebrate that's been gone on and been done. But what we always want to celebrate and what we always want to be known for is the degree to which our church is aligned with the purposes that we see in the first church in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. Now remember, Peter has preached the first Christian message, and I just mean by that, Peter has preached the first message that we know of after the resurrection of Jesus. First message preached by a follower of Christ after the resurrection. And we did that. He did that because the Holy Spirit had fallen upon those early believers. And when they did, it, was, it, was a, it, was, it, it, it encompassed everything. Said It was like a fire that came down and fell upon them. It was like a rushing wind. The Spirit of God is moving and caught up in that spirit, we might say. Peter goes and proclaims uh, the message of Jesus. And he's preaching that message, remember, to some very people in the crowd who not just had seen Jesus die or, or knew about Jesus dying, there were some people there in Jerusalem that apparently they themselves had participated in the activity that led to Jesus being put on that cross. And so this is a very personal message that Peter preaches when he preaches of Jesus. He's also convicting the hearts of those that have either actively helped kill him or played a role in his murder by not speaking a word to stop those who were doing it. Sermon gets done, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, the crowd, the congregation, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? It's not about what somebody else will do or about what some other church will do. It's about what you will do and about what we will do. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for it's through Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord of God shall call. This message of salvation is for everybody that will hear and repent and believe in Jesus. With many other words, we don't know the rest of the sermon. We don't know the rest of the dialogue. We don't know everything else. We don't really 
need to know. We need to remind ourselves sometimes we study the Bible that we're getting what God wants us to know. It's not exhaustive, but it's what you need to know for your salvation and to grow in the Lord. So apparently, verse 40, there were many other words. And he did testify and exhort and said, Save yourselves from this untoward or this sinful generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day, so they made a public profession of their faith that they were trusting in Jesus by getting baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly, continually. What did they do continually? They continued in the apostles' doctrine, what they had to teach about the life of Jesus and what Jesus instructed them and how he showed them how the Old Testament uh, found its fulfillment in his very life. So they continued in the teaching, right, in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread. They uh, engage in communion. This might mean a little more than just communion. Might have more in mind than that, but at the very least, they're engaged in the breaking of bread, the remembering of what he's done, and in prayers. Sister Holly said she appreciated the prayers for Brother George and for the family during this time. And uh, they gave us a, a card, and we'll read that next week. And in that card, I was already looking at it, just talking about the way that the church rallied around. The church is to be a church of prayer. If you're glad for the power of prayer, say amen. They keep praying. And fear came upon every soul. They recognized this is a God thing. And it's a God thing, this is a serious thing. And it's a God thing they realize when you get in the presence of God. If you're really in His presence, what you realize as a human being is you realize that you are sinful and that God is good and that it's amazing that He's even allowed you to be a part of what His kingdom is doing. We should always come into church. And there should always be a little bit of fear. In fact, in this congregation, one thing we could use a little bit more of from top to bottom is a fear when we enter into this place to worship together, a little bit of fear and wonder and amazement that God allows us as sinners to even participate in what He is doing. If you're glad that God allows us to participate in His work, say amen. But we're not worthy of it. We don't deserve it. And so there's a little bit on them that they recognize when they gather. This is amazing and this is serious. And there's a little bit of them, when it uses that word fear, in some sense that word means respect. It means reverence. It's getting at the idea that they recognize we are on our own. We are profane. And God is holy. And God is taking profane things and through Jesus and because of Jesus, he's allowing profane people that don't deserve to be a part. He's allowing them to be a part of his work. And so it says, fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs, remember what was the mark of Jesus' ministry? We've talked about that. Wonders and signs were part of it. As the church is launching, part of the way you know this is actually the work of Jesus and these early believers, they also engaged in many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed, all the believers that were there, were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man, every woman, every child, as as any person had need, they would share what they had. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and they did eat their meat, they would fellowship together, they would eat together, and they did it with gladness and singleness of 
heart and what drove this singleness of heart. Verse 47 says, praising God, and as they praised God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Now we saw last week uh, five marks of the early church, and we're going to see four more today that mark their church and need to mark our church. Last week, Brother Rick, show them the five that we saw last week, just to remind you if you aren't here. We saw that the early church offered salvation through Jesus. We saw that they made a promise. They couldn't promise silver and gold. They couldn't promise wealth. They couldn't promise to change everything about your daily existence. But what they did promise was they said, if you have salvation through Jesus, it says there, you will, not you might, you will receive the Holy Ghost. If you're glad that the presence of God in your life through His Spirit is a guarantee when you trust in Jesus, say amen. He says, you will receive. Just got to believe. By the way, you're going to see in the book of Acts. And then we'll, and this is where the teaching part of the preaching will come in during this sermon, sermon series. The apostles received the Holy Spirit by being in the room. And the Spirit, he says, when you're ready, when I'm ready and you're there doing what I told you to do, it will descend. He tells them, you will receive when you believe. In the book of Acts, there are going to be a couple other places the Holy Spirit's going to come, and it's going to come through the laying on of hands, or it's going to come some other ways. And we'll kind of talk about why in the book of Acts, why is the coming of the Holy Spirit, what might that mean that the Holy Spirit comes in some different ways to some different peoples? Now, one thing they all have in common, though, one thing they all have in common, however it comes in the book of Acts, one thing they have in common is that they all have believed in Jesus, and it has been promised if you believe in Jesus, this gift of the Holy Ghost will come upon you so they they offered salvation through Jesus they promised the Holy Ghost they continued in teaching the apostles doctrine they didn't try to come up with some uh, new thing because what are the apostles teaching they're just teaching what Jesus taught they're not focused on man-made opinions or uh, man-made things no 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 what they want to be taught and what they want to know is they want to walk in the way of Jesus and the way they got that was through the apostles that had walked with him so they didn't stray off the, the true church now we're going to see in the New Testament You'll see in the New Testament, Paul has to start writing some letters because some people leave the apostles' doctrine. They start chasing after other things. But this church was immersed in salvation through Jesus. They had one thing they could promise you, and that you believe in Jesus, you'll receive the Holy Ghost. They taught the apostles' doctrine. We saw they engaged in communal fellowship. They, they are together, fellowshipping together. They recognize they're part of something God is doing. And then finally, they ate the Lord's Supper together. They engaged in this continual remembering that Jesus' body and his blood was shed for them. Kobo Church, if we're going to be a church that is focused on what God's kingdom is about, we need to be a church that offers salvation, that really promises people only one thing, salvation, uh, you'll get it, and, and when you got it, you'll get the Holy Ghost. We need to teach the apostles' doctrine. We need to look for ways to fellowship together. By the way, you have to be intentional about that. You really do. It doesn't just happen. You have to think, how can I intentionally help other people be engaged in communal fellowship. And we need to also, as, as often as we do it, take the Lord's Supper and remember what Jesus has done. Now this morning I want to share four more things. Now he said they prayed every day. That's not one of my four, because in some ways I think the life of prayer is what holds the whole thing together. This prayer, this way of life of continuing praying and communing with God and communing with one another. And as they do that, all these other things occur. So let me share four more marks with you. Number one, go back to verse 43, all right? Look at verse 43. What's it say there? And fear came upon every soul. 
the early church was marked, number one, by reverence for God's presence. Fear came upon every soul. They were reverent when they were in the presence of God's power moving among his teachers and his preachers and his people. Gathering with other believers is a joyous event, right? The Bible doesn't make you choose between one or the other. When you gather with other believers, it is a joyous event. But it is not a game. It's not a game. By the way, unfortunately, some people pay better attention at games than they do in God's house because when they go to the game, they're very seriously intent on, I wonder who will win, and they're really focused on that. But when they show up for worship, they don't show up with the same attitude of, I wonder what God will do today in his people. If we need to repent of that, say amen. To believers, it was a joyous event, but it was not a game. Living the Christian life, being a Christian ambassador, being an ambassador for Jesus is joyous, but is also very, very serious. Jesus clearly had joy and gave joy to his followers. They were willing to follow him around three for three years, over three years. But even as you see the joy in Jesus' life, make no mistake, there's no doubt in the Gospels, it's also very, very serious what he's doing for Father God. Early Christians were also marked by this. Their services, their gatherings, their worship of whatever kind were always marked. There was always an underlying current of seriousness for God. So what is your attitude for God? We live in fast-paced life. We live in a hectic life. And I got, I got two kids, and, and I know Sunday morning can be crazy when you're trying to get the family together. Uh, that, that can be a hectic thing. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll let the hecticness of life, and we'll let our own sloth, and we'll let our own procrastination put off arising to God's house, ready, anticipating that we want to both honor God and hear from God in a belief that his spirit will move through the preaching and the singing and the listening to his word together. We need to be serious, church. There have probably been times that God has looked at our church over the years and thought that's a serious people. And that was a serious service. There's probably been other times while I've been pastor, and Brother Gary, I'm sure he'd say this when he was pastor, I'm probably sure through every pastor they could probably say, you know, there were times we were marked by seriousness, but then there were some Sundays, there were some couple of Sundays, there were some times that we were marked by other things other than gathering with a seriousness for God. Listen, if you seriously need God, say amen, then be serious about what he wants to give you. Now, my boys aren't in here, so I can say this. And just do me a favor. Don't, don't, don't ask them about it, all right? But, but I, I want to use my own family to give an example that my family's not immune from this. So obviously, my wife has to watch the boys on Sunday night and on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. She's got to watch them. And thankfully, my parents can kind of help with that. And so that, that's a little bit of a help. But uh, listen, if, you, if, you, if you're a single mom and you come and you're like, this is just overwhelming, my wife can relate to you a little bit. And I noticed something, I don't know, six or seven months ago. I noticed that kids do what kids do. Now, this is not, this is just how kids are. But I noticed six or seven months ago that, man, Laura's doing her best to try to get these two boys here and to get them focused and get them from playing Sunday afternoon and get them to church and stuff. And I noticed that Owen, my littlest one, every time the service started, every time the service started, you know, Owen was, I guess he was five at the time maybe, I noticed every time he'd start, 
about two songs in, every Sunday, Owen would get up. And Owen would leave. And so finally one day I asked him, I said, Owen, where are you going when you get up and leave? I needed water. I needed water. I needed to use the restroom. I, need, I needed to use the restroom. I needed water. He kept doing this. You know what? I finally told my five-year-old a few months ago, I said, Owen, and I took it on. I'm the dad, right? I need to step up and be responsible. I said, Owen, I tell you what, before the service, every Sunday, we will get our water first and we will use the restroom and then you better not get out of that seat unless you're about to poop in your pants. Can I tell you something today? Unless you have some sort of physical problem, if a five-year-old can sit through a second service he has to go to, now he plays back there with Aaron, don't get me wrong, he's five years old, he plays. But if he can make a little change because he knows it's expected of him, is there any reason we can't get serious about God? What did you say? No, there isn't. There isn't. You know, you're going to see an Acts in a minute. When they weren't serious about God, people start dying in the early church. Uh-oh. Why? One reason they start dying is because God allowed them to see some things that have rarely ever been seen. And it was obvious because they saw it, they better respect it. And they better know. So can I just can I just pour my heart out for a minute here? fact he he might shoot me afterwards but I'll, I'll just use one person's example and, and that didn't mean one person's better than another and this person has problems too but I can tell you this when brother George this week I was thinking about brother George I see my brother George he usually gets here early on Sunday nights and he plays with my boys that's why I was thinking about him and they play together and they talk about wrestling and he gives them candy and they do this but let me tell you something about brother George Almost every Sunday night, five to ten minutes before service starts, usually he's all, he gets here early and he's in his seat and he is ready. He is ready to hear what God has to say. He's ready. If we need to get our hearts ready, say amen. Now don't get me wrong. I'm going to make this very clear. Because my wife has to get my boys here by herself and she has to do those things some weeks and that goes on. I, I do understand and I don't want to put a guilt trip on you that the Bible would not put there. So I'm not saying to you that I'm watching and I'm looking every week. I don't look. Sometimes people tell me stuff that goes on. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about because when I show up, I'm not watching what everybody else is doing. I'm ready to hear what God wants to do and what he wants to say through his word. So don't start show. Don't worry like, oh, man, is the preacher going to. No, 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 no. That's not where I'm at. What I am saying is, though, if we want what the early church has, there's got to be a seriousness to who God is and what it means to be in his presence. So the early church, look at verse 43 again. What's it say? It says, hey, they were there. And it says, a fear came upon every soul. And they were marked by a reverence for God's presence. The early church was marked by a reverence for God's presence. They were also marked, number two, they realized something. They realized because they belonged to God, that they didn't belong to themselves. They realized because they belonged to God, not themselves. They realized the stuff they had didn't belong to them either. And so number one, they were marked by reverence for God's presence. But number two, they were also marked by a sharing of their personal possessions. Look at verse 45. All right, look at that. It says, they sold their possessions and their goods. And they parted them to all men as every man had need. 
they took what they had and they sold it and they, they split it up and they shared it based on a person's need. Now, especially students, listen to me, because you're going to hear this, you're going to read this on the internet, you're going to see this, you're going to wonder, is this true? Is this true? Sometimes people say the early Christians were communists. They were communists. This sounds just like communism. You take from one group of people and you give to another. There's a couple of big problems with that, though, right? Number one, why is this not communism? This is where Greek actually helps out a little bit. In the Greek, if you're reading the Greek New Testament, the Bible's originally given, that's an imperfect verb. And an imperfect verb means that it happens and continues to happen, continues to happen, continues to happen. It's a thing that you don't just do once. It's a thing that happens over and over and over again. So that's one way it's different. They didn't actually just take everything. It's as a person had need, you would take what you had and you would dole out and give to help meet the need that that person had. Now, yes, there were people who did in a one-time act literally take everything they had and gave it in. But it's also clear, and if you study church history, you quickly learn this. They also, and the Apostle Paul kind of makes this clear in some of his teaching, this is a continual thing that as you have need, you start to give to other people. So this is an imperfect verb, and it's happening over and over and over again. Another way this isn't communism is there's no indication in the Bible that you were forced to do this. In fact, later in the book of Acts, we will read of a couple that give and they lie about what they gave. They lie and they say, we gave everything, but they didn't give everything. They didn't give everything. And the Bible makes clear they did not give everything, and they lied to God, and God strikes them dead. He kills them. He kills them in front of the congregation. And it's interesting, when you read that text, it says in there, it was yours. When they're confronted by the apostle about their lying and their dishonesty, the apostle says to them, he says, hey, nobody made you do this. It was yours. There was no reason for you to lie and say you gave everything you sold. You could have just told the truth and said, hey, I sold this much and gave this much. So sometimes you'll hear people say, isn't this like communism? No, it's voluntary giving. And it's also a continual thing that they're doing. So if you're glad that we get to joyously, voluntarily give back what God has blessed us with, say amen. Now, Brother Robert tried to help us in the Sunday school hour. And God gave you that voice. And God gave you the ability to sing. And we shouldn't waste that gift. We should joyously and voluntarily give it back to God because he's given it to us. And so these early believers, they were marked by a presence for God, by a reverence for God's presence. And they were marked by a sharing of personal possessions. And then thirdly, they were marked by continual public worship. They continued in public worship. They were serious about God. And they gave need, as, as others needed, they gave to them. And they also continued in public worship. Look at verse 46. Look at what the Word of God says. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. In the temple. Now listen, you might think, right? That's kind of interesting. They're in the temple because you might think that the early Jesus followers would stay away from the temple. Right? You might think, why in the world would Jesus' followers be at the temple? Was it not the priest who condemned Jesus to death? Was it not the priestly crowd that we read in the Gospels had already, before he was put to death, earlier they had once tried to stone him in the temple, and they got very close to that. Why? They're at the temple. Wouldn't they kind of be afraid to go there? Because wasn't it the priest who went out and had him arrested? Wasn't it the priest who had tried to seize him before in the temple because Jesus made them so angry? Well, you might think that, but... Maybe we should think a little differently. 
You see, these early Jewish Christians remembered something. These are mostly Jewish Christians or Gentiles that were already God-fearers who would have been there at the Pentecost sermon. And you got to remember something about them. They wanted to be at the temple because they remembered that Jesus had claimed that the temple was his father's house. John's gospel makes clear that Jesus had a zeal for the temple that was consuming. So the early Christians, their love for the temple was not lessened. Their love for the temple was deepened because they recognized what it meant to Jesus. Before, I think you're an early Jewish Christian. Before they had met in the temple in ignorance of what God was doing. Before they were ignorant that Jesus is actually the one that all the temple worship pointed toward. Now they get to go to the temple. And as they are there together, it becomes more joyous because they recognize the temple that they are in points to Jesus. If you are glad that it all begins and ends with Jesus, say amen. Now, let me... Let me let me, let me throw a teaching right here. And this is where a lot of people go off track. This is where a lot of people will never allow God's word to speak to them because they won't take the time to actually read closely and listen to God's word. So maybe you're here today, right? And this is a good thing if this is you. And you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It says in the book of Acts that they were in the temple daily and they're meeting there. But you just preached from Hebrews a little while back. And when you get to Hebrews... In Hebrews, it's basically saying, look, you don't need to go back to all that stuff. And at some point, people quit going to the temple. And in fact, in the New Testament, it starts saying, hey, be careful about these folks that are telling you you got to go to the temple and you got to do this, you got to do that. Listen to me very carefully, very carefully, very carefully. When you come to the Word of God, especially in the New Testament, it is dealing with problems that people are actually facing in local congregations and local groups. That's one thing. Number two, the situation, as these letters are being written, there are things that change. And in the New Testament, one of the big tests is, will the word of God be able to guide my life in the midst of a changing situation? All right? So the word of God does not change. Why are they at the temple? Because they love Jesus, and they recognize that Jesus is the one the temple temple pointed towards. So so catch this. Here's the difference between Acts and Hebrews. By the time you get to Hebrews, situations definitely change by the time you get to Hebrews. What what? What changed, right? Because you might read that and say, well, these two books of the Bible don't agree with one another. These two books of the Bible, no, wrong. Very wrong. Here's the thing. They're there because they love Jesus, and Jesus was in the temple, and Jesus loved the temple, and they recognized, wow, this is what the temple pointed toward. All right, that's one thing. Second thing is, at that moment in time, that moment in time, pretty much anybody could be in the outer court and could and could even be in the Jewish part as long as you were just a good Jew and a good citizen and were not causing trouble they would let you be there so they could freely be there and they knew Jesus loved it also in the Sanhedrin you had these people that were almost believers you have Gamaliel you have you have Joseph who gave Jesus his tomb and the Bible makes clear that this is a guy that like he's looking at Jesus kind of funny he's part of the he's part of the Sanhedrin now there are some others we could we could mention right so within the very Sanhedrin You've got some folks that, that they're, they're on the cusp of believing in Jesus. And the temple's important to Jesus. As long as you don't cause trouble, you can be there, right? But, but and by the way, at first the people kind of like the Christians. Because the Christians live holy lives. And the Christians are giving their stuff away to one another and taking care of one another and to others. So at first the Christians are liked. But then something changes. What changes is Jewish leaders start realizing that if people keep talking about Jesus, their importance is going to decrease. 
And unlike John the Baptist, the temple leaders are not ready for their influence to decrease. They've got to maintain it, even if that means opposing Jesus. So one thing that changes is the people that run the temple, they don't want the Christians there anymore. They, they don't want them there, and they don't want them around. The other thing that happens is in the Sanhedrin, they reach a point, you've got to make a decision. Like, are you going to stand with us in the, in the old ways, or are you going to embrace Jesus? And that changes, so sort of the leadership dynamic changes. Something else really big changes by the time you get to Hebrews. By the time you get to the Apostle Paul, who a few years down the road, more and more Gentiles begin embracing Jesus. More and more Gentiles, me and you, more and more Gentiles begin embracing Jesus. And there are Jewish leaders that start saying, Daniel, now I know Jesus saved you. But if you really want to be a Christian, you're not a Jew. And you're going to have to start doing the Old Testament law perfectly. Like you're going to have to, if you're not circumcised, you're going to have to get circumcised. You're going to have to do that. And uh, this, this eating meat stuff that you eat, you need to stop that because Jews don't do that. And by the way, this is good you're going to these Christian fellowships and these Christian worship services, but you also need to start going to the temple regularly. You, start need, you need to give sacrifices. You need to do this. And so what the Apostle Paul has to start making very, very clear, it's no, 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 no. The connection to G, the temple that Jews have is because Jesus completed it. If you're a Gentile, you definitely don't have to do any of that. In fact, he starts discouraging Gentiles from doing that because he wants to make it clear that's not the way. Now, there, there are sometimes Paul does some different things, but, but overall, he's trying to say, hey, you don't have to do that. And so by the time you get later in the New Testament, things have changed. So I, I, you say, why do you talk about this? Because there are a lot of people today that try to tell believers like us, they say, well, look, if you really love the Lord, you'll start doing the Old Testament stuff again. By the way, you know this is going on today? If you really love the Lord, you'll start doing this and this and this, and you'll start doing that and that and that. And no, 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 these people are not at the temple because they have to keep doing the temple rituals. They are just at the temple because they recognize this is all pointing toward Jesus. If you're glad about Jesus from beginning to end, say amen. Now, I just say, this is something our church has to do too, right? Because the world's always telling us, believe me, the world's going to come after you. The world's going to tell you, you can't believe what you've been taught. You can't believe what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't even make sense. In fact, look at this, look at that. They, co they contradict, that doesn't make any sense. And the truth of the matter is the problem most often is not... Well, actually, it's never with the Bible. The problem is with us. The problem's with us that we don't understand and we don't see. And we're not willing to get serious in worship and show up and beg God, God, open my eyes and change me. So they go to the temple because they love Jesus. And because they recognize that it pointed towards him. And they want others who are at the temple to know Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. By the way, if you're glad we can trust all of the Bible, say amen. So these first Christian disciples were committed to continual public worship. Are you? You see, the situation will change, and they're going to be told you can't be at the temple because that's disturbing the peace and that's against the law. And there are going to be Jewish people that are going to say, no, 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 no. If you don't keep doing all this stuff, you can't be a part of the family anymore. You can't be a part of your friend group anymore. Can you imagine how traumatic it was by the time you get to the book of Hebrews? That God's words having to tell people, listen, I told you following Jesus was going to cost you. It was going to cost you. And now they're not going to let you back into the temple. They're not going to let you preach about Jesus there. And there's some of you that are kind of on the fence. You're kind of on the fence. 
and you're slipping back over and you're slipping away from Jesus because you're thinking to yourself, man, I kind of miss hanging out with my friends at the temple. And I kind of miss being there with them. And that, that was kind of neat. I, maybe I didn't fully recognize when I embraced Jesus just how radical this was going to be. And so you get to the book of Hebrews and the writer's just making it really clear. Yes, yes, the book of Hebrews, Hebrew Christians, it is radical. But Jesus has radically saved you. And there are probably some young people today that you're thinking, I didn't know following Jesus was going to be this intense. I didn't know submitting my will to his will was going to be this intense. I didn't know part of being a church group that Jesus was going to call for me to live this kind of life. See, that again is why we need the Holy Spirit of God so bad. Because without the Holy Spirit of God, none of us can walk in the way of Jesus. None of us. So we see this early church. And I just wonder, are we known what they're known for? Are we known for a reverence of God? Are we known today uh, for, for when people have need that we with a joyful heart, we use discernment, they use discernment, says as everyone needed, they just didn't give it out like they discerned, is this really needful? But do we have an attitude that says, hey, if there's a need, if I've got it, I'll try to step up because I recognize this doesn't belong to me. And are we glad to join together and publicly worship God? And we recognize that when we do it, we're in his very presence as we're among his people and his spirit is speaking to us through his word. And the early church was known for so much. And there's so much that our church is known for. There's so much. But here's the last thing the early church was known for. And it's really interesting that it ends on this. Because this is what ties it all together. Look at verse 47. Last thing. What does it say? It says they were praising God. They were praising God and they had favor with all people. And the Lord added the church daily such as should be saved. These were a people who were known for praising God. This was the heartbeat of the, old, of the New Testament church that's coming out of the Old Testament ways. They are known for praising God. Praising God should be the heartbeat of our church. We should be known as a church when you gather that we praise the Lord. That praising the Lord flows from our mouth. You say, what, what is my mouth known for, right? What is my mouth known for? Is it known because I just keep it shut? Is my mouth known for running my mouth off? Is my mouth known for criticizing others? Is my uh, mouth, what, what is your mouth known for? And it makes clear of all the other things they're doing, what their mouths were known for was praising the Lord because they had so much to praise Him for. Can you imagine them in the temple excited and praising God? Can you imagine? I think one of the things that probably attracted others to them is that they're there at the temple together, those that know about Jesus the sort of excitement over who Jesus is and what he's done. And you can praise God today. You know why you can praise God today? Because God sees every tear that has ever fallen from your eye. You can praise him today because every tear you've ever cried, God sees. You know why you can praise him today? You can praise him today because God sees every tear that is. If you're glad he sees every tear, say amen. You can praise him because he sees every tear that's ever fallen. You can praise him today because God hears... He sees every tear that has fallen, and he hears every prayer that you've ever prayed. Both the prayer with your mouth and the prayers of your heart. Church, if you are glad that God hears not only the prayers of your mouth, but he also prayers the pray, he hears those prayers in your heart when all you can do is groan in your spirit, and God hears it, and you know it, say amen.
You can praise Him today because God has seen every tear that you've cried. God has heard every prayer of your heart. You can praise Him today because God has filled you with His Spirit. Now think about this. The same Spirit that fills you is the same Spirit that the Bible says brought Jesus back from the dead. The same Spirit that is in the life of a believer is the same Spirit of God that brought Jesus back. You can praise God today because God has rescued you from darkness. He has redeemed you from sin. He has washed your sin with His precious blood. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus could wash your sin away. Can you imagine going to the temple? And as you're watching the other people do the rituals, as you're watching the other people carving up the animals and they really don't know what they're doing, they just know we're trying to appease God. And we know this is sort of connected to what Moses did and, 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 these, and these sacrifices because we're sinful, but they don't really know. They're just kind of going through that motion. They know God demands it, so they're doing it. Can you imagine being a New Testament Christian who can now praise God because you know the very reason that they don't have to carve animals up anymore is because Jesus allowed himself to be carved up for you. And so you say, what have I got to praise God about? Because he's seen every tear. He's heard every prayer. He's filled you with this same spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead. He has rescued you from darkness. He's redeemed you from the power of sin. He's washed you with his blood. By the way, you can praise him today because God knows everything you've ever done and he loves you anyway. Every single solitary thing. And yet he loves you. And I think today that we should lift our hearts in praise because the fact of the matter is God hasn't given up on you yet. He hasn't. Did you know in my life there's some people at times that I've given up on? There's some people I've given up on and I've thought, no way, they're never going to get it. Right? I don't know if you play basketball, if there's some players you look at and you think, I'm giving up on them, never going to get it. Spiritually, we kind of get on that high horse and we think, I, there's no, they're just, I'm just going to give up. You're glad today that God hasn't given up on you, say amen. Every tear, every prayer, he's filled you with his spirit. He has saved you with his blood. And God has not given up on you. And maybe today you feel that way that God has given up. He has not. And if you don't know him today, his spirit, the same spirit that infected this early church, that spread among these believers, a good infection, spread, spread, and attracted people to Jesus. Maybe today you say, man, I need some of this. Like, I'd like to be around some people that when they really have need, they'll actually help me. Actually, well, I'd like to be around some people like that. Like, not being lazy, but say, I, I've got some needs. I, I'd like to know that. I'd, I'd like to actually experience that. Boy, I'd like to be around some people that really love others because they recognize how dirty and nasty and messed up they were. And so when they look at me, yeah, they'll confront my sin, but they also love me deeply because they know they've been loved. I, I want some of that. Maybe you say, I'm just kind of going through the motion. I'm just kind of going through the motion of life, and I'd like to understand a little better how Jesus holds all that together. I'd like to know a little better how he washed away my sin and made me clean. My friend, you can know today. You know the great thing about today? We're about to have an invitation. The great thing about today is we're going to go eat, and we're going to all be here together. So maybe today you say, I'm kind of nervous about this, and I'm kind of scared, and I just don't know. Can I tell you something? You come now if you need to be saved. I say, if you need to be saved right now. If you believe somebody be saved right now, say amen right now. 
But I also want you to know, if you're kind of like Nicodemus, kind of like Nicodemus, the Bible says he's kind of on the fence, wants to know, he's kind of scared. And so he waited later, came. I would advise you not to wait because you never know what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. You don't know what's going to happen in the next 60 seconds. But I can tell you this, let me tell you something. Don't wait past this meal. Grab one of us because we'll be here. And God's arranged it. We'll be here to meet with you and talk with you. And so you stay and meet with us. It's not just about what God's done in the past. It's what he did in the early church and what he's done in the life of Kugel Church and what God wants to do again with you. Today on this day, as we close, I want us to close the way the early church, they were basically just, no man, they just praised God. And that's what they did. And we're going to sing and we're going to praise God. And this is going to be our closing. But as we sing, if you need to be prayed for, you need to kneel in prayer and praise God that way. If you need to ask forgiveness today. If you need to come, listen, you come while we sing. But we're going we're gonna to celebrate our homecoming today. Doing what that church did, which was praising God. I mentioned earlier that my son, I was working on the sermon and I got done and I played a song. And my son walked up to me. I didn't know he was listening. And he walked up and he said, Dad, I love that song. I love it. And then he kind of paused because this song tells about things Jesus did. He paused. And I think this is in another song, but my son asked me, he said, Dad, what's it mean that sin was arrested? You know, that song talks about sin. It was stopped. I said, son, what that means is, what that hymn, if you don't really understand that word, what that means is that sin was stopped. And we praise God because of all the things he's done. And there are many things to praise him for. Most of all, we praise him because sin was stopped. It was arrested. It was said, hey, you don't get to do that anymore. If you are glad that Jesus has arrested the sin in your life, say amen. Let's stand with me. Let's praise him today. Let's sing out. Let's sing a song of praise. And if you need to be prayed for, I'll meet you right here and pray with you this morning. But let's sing. Let's praise the Lord. Let's celebrate who he is and what he's done.